watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have, no, not three, two movies for you. Widows and The Front Runner. But as always, we're gonna rate these two movies on a three-tiered scale. Do you got that? There's a little bit of math. Yeah, there's okay. two, but there's three. Uh-huh. With binge it being our highest rating, consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess, and sometimes life's too short for three movies in an episode, uh, especially when you have a special guest, which we do this week. Mm-hmm. So with that said, we're going to forego our what's up with you and dive right into our first movie. Widows, which is uh, our pick of the week. A police shootout leaves four thieves dead during an explosive armed robbery attempt in Chicago. I feel like a news reporter. I know you sound like one. <laughs> their widows, Veronica, Linda, Alice, and Belle, have nothing in common except a debt left behind by their spouse's criminal activities. Hoping to forge a future on their own terms, Veronica joins forces with the other three women to pull off a heist that her husband was planning. Something happened tonight, something bad. Our husbands aren't coming back. We're on our own. They stole a lot of money. And now people want it from us. Now the best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. All right, guys, we are super excited this week because we have a special guest joining us for our review of Widows. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the binge, Ashley De La Torre. Hey. Hi. Hi. <laughs> hey, Ashley. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You made me sound so special. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till you hear the effects the <laughs> we add to it. It's yeah. going to be like firework sound effects. Yeah, it's going to be trumpets. It's going to be a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and uh, Ashley, you are here because we have a mutual friend, Judy mm-hmm. Baker. Yay, Judy! Who uh, who said uh, you have to meet my friend Ashley? Mm-hmm. Uh, she <laughs> loves movies. Uh, she is a Bay Area cultural critic, and she says the one movie I need to see this year is Widows. <clears throat> Correction, I said the one movie she needs to see in theaters because Judy, Judy mm. has a problem with going to the theater. Oh. That's right. So I say if it's one movie that you're actually going to watch mm-hmm. in theaters, it should be Widows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because yeah. this is a film you want to see on the big screen. Yes, I would agree. Judy, get your get your ass out there. Uh, <laughs> and to all the Judys that we know. all the Judys. <laughs> get your asses up. And go, and go do it. Exactly. Uh, uh, Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I'm an Oakland native, East Oakland specifically. Um, I love saying that. So that was the first thing I had to get out the way. Yes. Um, and I work at the San Francisco LGBT Center. That's awesome. how I know Judy. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's, I'm dealing with this toxic air out here we're do- having right now Woof. yes and guys if if any of our voices sound a little bit rougher or scratchier than usual it's because we are having a legitimate air crisis uh <laughs> yeah. in the it's area it's like you can't even imagine like last week what would have been the thing this week we would talk about it would be right. like oh, what happened in, in politics and it's like oh no this time just a just a casual apocalypse on a weekly weekly rollout uh ashley you are a writer and a film critic i well 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about film critics. I write about. Also neither. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I write about film sometimes. Yes. Um. Shout out to really dope media. That's actually where I do most of uh, my work. It's a collective of us led by my friend Malik. Um, and we just pe- folks who enjoy television and film and entertainment. And then we like to talk about it, sometimes talk crap about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, to your point, uh, I actually did a piece that I was really proud of this summer around sort of the hype around Oakland films this year. We had right. a bunch of high profile films that came out this year. Um, and we're not going to talk about it, but go see Jin also, which is a local film. Um, J-I-N-N. By, yes, by Najla Mumin, um, who's from the East Bay as well. Um, so kind of rounding out our year um, mm. with Bay Area film, um, including Blind Spot and Sorry to Bother You, Black Panther, which is a Oakland film. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it is a Bay Area film. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so... That's what I do sometimes when yeah. I'm not working. <laughs> and the piece is great. You guys probably saw it because it really made the rounds. Uh, yeah, that summer. was on Shadow and Act. Yeah, Shadow and Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a yeah, it's a really great piece. It was a perspective, basically, kind of what it seemed like what you were saying was like, oh, this idea that there are all these trend pieces being mm-hmm. done by like the New York Times and LA right. Times about like, oh, suddenly. Right. Suddenly, all of a sudden, Oakland has talent. It's like, no, actually, we've been giving you talent like. Shout out to Mahershala Ali, mm-hmm. by the way, who has an Oscar before all these Oakland people, uh, Oakland pieces came out. Like, ooh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like we've been out here and we're gonna continue to be out here. So that's all it was saying. It's like you're welcome. Like, that's right. <laughs> you're welcome for that's all the right. great things we've been giving you. Let the record show that Rebecca once had an an opportunity to interview Mahershala Ali, and she passed it up. No, you did not. When was this? No, first of all, we have to get this out of the way right now. I think it was like 1973. a baby how was i to know you don't know it's just a baby just a beautiful baby who knew it was uh it was for when he was doing press for uh kicks right yeah i would she did talk to the director but she had an opportunity to do like you do the director and the actor and she's like no just and justin tipping is having a moment too he just um he was working with lena waith on the shy but now he's like the lead person on her new show that she's which doing. of her new shows? So she has like yeah, 20, doesn't she? The name is slipping my mind yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point. But it's the I want to say it's the one she's doing for like Amazon or something. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and they just like finished rapping, but now they're yeah. working on Boomerang, another right. Lena Waithe production. Um, on but fire. yeah. Oh my gosh! So shout out to him too. Yeah, El Cerrito. That's right. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah. No, I mean it was uh in 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 Rebecca's defense since I just threw her under the bus. <laughs> She, she hadn't done she was sort of like it, she hadn't done a ton of interviews and she was nervous already and she's like two people no I just want to talk to one person yeah, I wasn't even sure how to, how to wrangle that room yeah <laughs> still don't know no still unclear still but, unclear but yeah I mean at the end of the day uh, how hard could it be it's not like they're asking me questions right <laughs> anyway and, and you um, speaking of interview you interviewed you said the director of Jen right I did Najla is super nice um we actually had a few interactions on Twitter. She actually read my Bay Area piece, which I mentioned Jen in, ah. and I was like super like, oh my God, you read my piece. <laughs> and um, she really enjoyed it. And so ever since then, we were kind of like going back and forth on Twitter. So when I interviewed her, she recognized my name and was like, oh my God, like, you know, whatever. So that Twitter was pretty cool. Twitter doing good right. instead of evil. <laughs> instead of the miserable place it usually is. Right. 
<laughs> good things can happen. Right, yeah. Wow. Well, uh, here we are today to talk about the movie Widows. Uh, this is a movie The that, movie. The movie. This is a movie that we all saw at different times. I saw it. It's been over two months since I saw it. You saw it about a month ago. Mm-hmm. Rebecca saw it just last week. Last week. Wow, it's fresh. Yeah feels like forever ago. <laughs> sure does. You know how sure time does. works now, but yeah, There's super a, fresh. And in midterms were still just last Tuesday. <laughs> I, I can imagine that oh you all... <laughs> Crazy. Right? With the 2020, but no. Right, um, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine you are all waiting for it to come out to see it again, right? I, I'm like, oh, I have to wait a week to take somebody else to see this? That's right. insane. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I was definitely on the edge of my seat. Like, I can't wait to, one, talk about it with everybody, but also, yes, go see it a second time. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait. I love it. <laughs> so uh, so when you saw that Widows was coming, like, what was it that, because, I mean, going up to, so you saw it at Mill Valley, and it's mm-hmm. not, it's not easy to get up to Mill Valley. Mm-hmm. So what was it about Widows that you were like, okay, I have to make sure I go see this? It was the teaser trailer. Mm. Like, because I was like, what is this? I didn't know at its core it was going to be well it's i don't know i feel like it's short changing it to say it's a heist movie right um mm. but i didn't know that that's what it was going to be like i was like what is this it looks kind of like thrillery it looks kind of like actiony like what is i didn't know and then mm-hmm. obviously viola davis for me was like a pull um liam neeson and then I saw Daniel Kaluuya and Brian Tyree Henry were in it. I'm like, what is this? I need to watch this. Like, literally the trailer is what got me into the theater. And then yeah. it was like Steve McQueen's new thing. I haven't, we haven't seen Steve McQueen since 12 Years a Slave. So, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. So that was also the pool for me to hike up to San Rafael to go to go watch this movie <laughs> at 2 p.m. on a Monday. At 2 p.m. So. on a Monday. Wow. That's a labor of love. That yes. is commitment. And I don't regret it at oh. all. Uh, so what going into you? it, you knew from the teaser kind of, okay, so it, might, it looks like it's going to be this, it looks like it's going to be that. As it started to unfold, because the, the beginning of this mm-hmm. movie is just so, like, the pre-title sequence mm-hmm. is one of the most, like, just, mm-hmm. like, jaw-dropping, yes. captivating, right. incredibly <clears throat> shot, edited, acted things. Like, it's just so powerful, so mm-hmm. right out of the gate. So I'm sure right out of the way you were like, I don't regret this. This yes. is this is going <laughs> to no, pay, this is gonna sure. pay off. For sure. Um, yeah, so definitely when I was watching the film, I was like, what? I still didn't mm-hmm. know. I feel like when you watch Widows, you still don't <laughs> quite know what's happening for mm-hmm. a lot of the time yeah. you're like i have no idea what's about to happen which i loved i yeah. couldn't predict it which is always a great thing yeah um and it's like twisty. you said just from yes literally <laughs> yes. it's literally twisted in some yeah. of the shots um shout yeah. out to steve mcqueen because yeah. like you said this movie I, and i think that was one of my favorite things about the film is how it was shot mm. like there's a um yeah. so there's mm-hmm. a shot where um daniel kaluuya <laughs> is being amazing as he was in the entire film i won't do any spoilers but i'm not gonna lie this is might be controversial but he was my favorite character in the film. stone cold he was my favorite i think it was just him acting i was like he's terrifying he is amazing in this role like literally i was like yes viola did her thing but Mm -hmm. i had never seen daniel kaluuya in that That element before and i was like oh my god yeah. So there's a scene where he's, um, it's a group of them and he's there and there's literally no, it's like one seamless shot that continues mm. to rotate around. Oh God, the gymnasium. Yeah. The yes. gymnasium. And um, I was just like, oh my God, that scene was yeah. 
amazing. Hypnotic. I think, I think my audience screamed. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. There was a lot of gasp, a lot of noise in the in the um, yes. in the audience, and uh, even the the build up to that scene when you you're first introduced to the gymnasium, mm-hmm. and it's like you hear singing, and you're like, "Is that a radio?" Yes. yes. And this really <laughs> awkward, painfully long time passes between when that's introduced and the sort of like climax of that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. gymnasium scene exactly. we're trying to be very careful not to spoil for right, you right, right. Because you need to get your gas out of the sink <laughs> into the theater mm-hmm. is compare that to the opening credits where it's everything's like so fast and yes. so jarring and like so yes. um kinetic mm-hmm. the movie like plays with you in that way where it, like mm. teases you with like long bits of nothingness mm-hmm. and then kind of like jam packs things so there isn't like a cadence that you can get used to and comfortable with that you're like oh i know what's going to happen because like things like get sped up and then slowed down that i felt like really had me totally invested in mm-hmm. what was going on. So I guess this movie was based on a British uh, mm-hmm. miniseries, also called Widows, from the early 80s, by Linda LaPlante, who created Prime Suspect. Mm. And uh, and I think you can kind of feel a little bit that it's, it's compressing a lot of story mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. a little over two hours. Um, so it almost felt, at times, overstuffed to me, because there's so much going on. Like you were saying, it's so mm-hmm. hard to keep up with all of it. Mm-hmm. It gives you a lot. Because, you know, we have... Um, we were talking offline earlier about Star is Born and how Star is Born basically <laughs> lacks a B story. Um, and yeah, that's kind of right? part of why. That's not the only thing. Like, so but old? we're not here to talk about Star is Born right now. This is You're like, don't time. say that name in the Widow's <laughs> right. Review. Voldemort. <laughs> oh my God. So good. Uh, so, uh, but this movie has like an A story, a B story, a C story, a D story. It just keeps going um, because mm-hmm. uh, we have, you know, in the A story, we have Viola Davis's character. Um, sort of rallying together this group of other women who've all been widowed by this uh, this terrible explosion during a robbery that mm-hmm. killed all their husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, it turns out that they owe the money back that this that was that perished in the middle of this robbery. And so they start to plan their own heist to get the money back. Um, and then we also have this very intense political backdrop mm-hmm. of the election for Chicago aldermen. Um, between um, Colin Farrell uh, is like the scion of this like wealthy white family that's owned that's like owned this title in this predominantly black neighborhood in Chicago for a very long time. Brian Tyree Henry, who you mentioned, is um, is sort of like maybe a semi-reformed gangster, but not totally reformed, <laughs> who is coming up trying to be like, yeah. I'm going to take this back from my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like the people's candidate kind of, um, which I thought was a great sub storyline. Mm-hmm. Like I love the way they like intertwine those two things of like the Viola Davis and her crew and then sort of like the political background of it. Um, One thing I really liked about that was another scene without spoiling. There's a scene where Colin Farrell gets into the car. I believe it was after the funeral, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember. But it was the scene where he gets into the car with his assistant and you don't see them the entire ride. The camera's on the outside of the car. Yeah, but you see the neighborhood change. Mm -hmm. And you just hear them. All you hear is them talking. And then when you see them arrive, you you finally see Colin Farrell's house and where they've arrived. In Mm -hmm. contrast to where they started started from. And that was one of my, also one of my favorite shots. No, that was was so ingenious. That was so ingenious. Maybe it was, or were they coming from? Like, wasn't he doing like a, he was doing like a stump speech? He was doing like a rally yeah. or yes, something. Yeah, that's what it was from. Business. Yeah, and yeah, he was running away from the journalist right. that was like <laughs> up his ass. <laughs> 
Yes, that was Colin yeah. Farrell was really good in that too. Amazing, he, was, he yeah. was. Yeah, and yeah, we're just seeing. Yeah, the cameras out the car. We're hearing them say so much racist shit to each other over this phone call about mm-hmm. the election, and uh, and then yeah, we just see him go to his like you know wealthy <laughs> mansion. Mm-hmm. Robert Duvall, all while being driven by their black <laughs> be, driver, right. right? And he's saying all this uh, right totally Robert, racist shit. I will say Robert Duvall as yes. the, as the father plays Colonel Sanders. <laughs> He is literally like what? In, it's like what all black people think white grandparents are. It's like you like that's what Robert Duvall plays in this movie. It's like just saying anything like with with the with his Asian caretaker, yeah, right, right? Who is just like I don't even care. I'm getting paid. To be here. Robert Duvall is out of his damn mind this yes. movie to the point where I was like, is he even like? Is this acting right. or is Robert Duvall just out of it? Just I'm like, he is a ripping. mess. Right. He is a mess. Didn't pay him. He just wandered on set. Right. Right. Colin, Farrell, Colin Farrell around for years. There was one right. scene in particular between the two of them where where him and his son are like having this argument in like their chambers where Robert Duvall is so unhinged in what feels like a very unnatural way that my audience just started laughing. Uh, I feel like Robert Duvall was maybe getting to the point where it's like, Maybe don't put me in movies anymore. Right. <laughs> like I can't be trusted. I, lo- I, I loved it. Yeah. Did you? I was so sold on it, and I I, was that like, was like another like B story. The relationship with him and his father mm-hmm. that were, was all these like tiny stories are still like closed up. It's not like well, what happened to that one weird thing? They yes. all like right. they close the loop on all the little stories. Right. And yeah. we have like Cynthia Erivo and in, to- in a totally separate C story yeah. as the as the driver mm-hmm. who gets mm-hmm. brought in on this. Yeah, and, and they're all like, and, intertwined in a way that makes sense. And each of the women has a really like very sort of textured developed dimensional storyline of their own yeah and then like you were saying earlier it's all of these stories but to me nothing seemed rush and mm-hmm. also like rebecca was saying mm-hmm. none of them are loose ends at the end of the film mm-hmm. everything is wrapped up which i think is like amazing mm-hmm. given one the time constraint mm-hmm. um and then two, just as a filmmaker, like I thought Steve McQueen did an amazing job at giving everyone kind of their fair share of the story. Like mm-hmm. obviously it's mm-hmm. not everyone's film, it's a Viola Davis show. <laughs> and we get that from the very beginning. But yes, it should be. Yeah. I mean, of course. <laughs> like who else right. was it gonna be? Right. But um I think we definitely saw a fa- like a good amount of like B story, C story. It's like it was just mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought it was very well rounded, and I think that it provided enough context for things to make sense. Like if you maybe didn't have that relationship that um, uh, with Colin Farrell and his father, he would have seen seemed like a very just like an archetype of this like uh, mm-hmm. wealthy politician who's an asshole, and you wouldn't really understand like why he was the way he was or what he really wanted, like how much he actually was invested in what he was doing or what his motivations were, which made it a little bit more rich than just like. Um, you know, kind of rooting for the the other candidate, which al- which is also a complicated story, right? Like, there's no clear uh, good guy or bad guy in this <laughs> yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, you mentioned Steve McQueen. This is a, a big story here. Is that Steve McQueen's first three movies um, were all very kind of of a piece with each other in terms of like their their storytelling style. The you know his background is as a visual artist, and so he didn't really make like appealing entertaining genre movies Mm -hmm. so there was you know there was hunger there was shame and then 12 years a slave all of which were very 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 tough to get through Mm -hmm. whereas widows is now it suddenly he's made a genre movie right um and uh so and it seems like he uh many worked with uh gillian flynn Mm -hmm. on the screenplay who is the writer of gone girl and sharp objects 
Um, and so it seemed like they had a, it seemed like they must have had a good partnership. Yeah, for sure. And Stephen McQueen was like, look, y'all talk about I can't make a genre film. Well, let me get in my bag real quick and show y'all <laughs> that I can make a genre film. I can do... Actually, I'm going to do multiple genres in one film. How about that? <laughs> and I'm going to give y'all still all of the art and all the shots that I did in my other films, too. Because mm-hmm. he definitely, it did not suffer, like, Ew. in this film just because he was doing a genre film. Like, no. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, was, he was with it. He was with it the whole time. Something that I wondered, I'm waiting to see if anyone, if there's any controversy or anything about Steve McQueen as an outsider telling a story about Chicago. Because uh, I know, like, even when Spike Lee made Chirac, I well, know that, like, Chance... Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's not be hasty with the comparison. <laughs> it's not Chirac. I mean, yes, it's, it's not Chirac, but continue, no. I'm sorry. Oh, no, uh, no, that just made me wonder, because I know that, like, in that situation, it felt like a lot of, like, Chance and, like, other sort of, like, Chicago champions were like, whoa, 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 like, don't come in here and decide you're going to tell a story about what's happening for Black Community Chicago when you are not part of the community. Yeah. I also think Chirac was a very different film and Spike was trying to attempt to do something very different than what Steve McQueen is doing here. Mm. I think Chicago is a, actually an important part of this film. This film is super black, by the way. <laughs> Just because I'm thinking about Chicago now and I'm like, yeah, this film is very black. But also, I don't think he's going in there trying to tell a specific story about like what's happening in Chicago right yeah. now. I think... The setting is very, um, like, so the scene I was talking about when they go from one neighborhood to the other, and right. they, they talk about gerrymandering a little bit in the film, mm. talking about changing districts and things like right. that. Um, the history of the candidates and, you know, Brian Tyree Henry versus. So I think that's a very, like, Chicago thing that they kind of put into the film. And mm. even the shot, oh, I can't say that because that's kind of a spoiler, but there's a shot in the film where you find out that something tragic has happened to mm-hmm. Viola Davis in the past before right. this tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was very, that scene, the way they shot that scene was also very Chicago because you kind of see mm. that person in a different setting that we haven't really seen in the film mm-hmm. um, as well. Yeah. Um, and so I think certain scenes uh, definitely kind of, it was very beautiful. Like, even I felt the same way with 12 Years of Slave. Like, the subject matter wasn't great, but it was a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. And I think Steve McQueen did the same thing here. Right. So I don't necessarily feel like, and I, again, I haven't been on social media for a minute, <laughs> um, but I haven't seen anyone have that mm-hmm. reaction toward, towards it because it's not like, oh, like Steve we McQueen is talking about gun violence and talking about schools and talking about whatever... I don't right. know what Spike Lee was trying to do with Chirac, but it's not this. It's not what <laughs> Steve McQueen. Yeah, still unclear. Years right. later, I don't think that's what Steve McQueen is doing here. I think yeah. he beautifully used it as a backdrop and a part of the story, but it's not necessarily trying to come in and be like, "Yeah, this is it. Like this yeah. is what it is." I feel like if anything, it feels like a in the way you describe it as beautiful, feels like a very European way of looking at America in general. Right, mm-hmm. which you get from a queen for sure. Right, uh, which is just a little bit prettier than we actually are. But <laughs> um, but at the same time, yeah, it doesn't feel like he's trying to tell. It could be like a Cleveland story or an Oakland story. Like it could be a lot of places. And I, I think it's actually kind of interesting that they called out Chicago. I thought that was a little risky mm-hmm. for that reason, for right. it to see like, you know, there actually is so much going on in Chicago um, that it's kind of a bold move to tell a tale about it, but it but it was also yeah not specific enough that it was like oh it kind of could be anywhere, mm-hmm. right? And I guess it was actually um, so I guess Gillian Flynn lived in Chicago for a while, and so it was her kind of bringing any sort of expertise to the story in terms of like the local stuff, and it was McQueen's idea to set it there. 
So he was just mm. kind of like, let's have it be in Chicago. And she's like, oh, I used to live in Chicago, so I can I can hook that so up. I was like, I know somebody. We right. can save it. It's like donuts. I, I know some people. Too. Right. I know some people. It's oh, fine. Yeah. Just a small thing. Uh, um, I think also the way the stories are segregated, too, makes sense for Chicago. Hmm. Yeah. Midwest in general. I mean, I went to school in Milwaukee, which is was the most segregated city in America at one point. And hmm. Chicago is very segregated as mm-hmm. well. So is Detroit. A lot of Midwest cities are built that way as well. Right. And I thought that made sense for the city yeah. too. Because you mm-hmm. never see Michelle Rodriguez in the same neighborhood as you would see. Right. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, the, Elizabeth yeah. Debicki. The, was she Russian in the film? Yeah. She was Russian. Yeah. Um, and then She's so good. Which was way different from yeah. the neighborhood Viola Davis lived in. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, so it's, I thought a lot of it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about how funny like i remember the one, the one scene when they're like on a on a little yacht like in what is it like like michigan it would be and mm-hmm. like they're like miley davis's apartment like on, on the gold coast mm-hmm. of right. chicago and like there were points where i'm like i forgot that chicago looked like that i'm like what is this <laughs> fucking miami right. like, what is this, like who goes out on a yacht right, in like right, right. lake michigan to go like talk business right. like, oh with your God. fancy suits it just seems so rid- so ridiculous it's <laughs> yes. so funny no, I think that's true. I think that, yeah, it's true. Because, like, Michelle Rodriguez's character is very much, you know, in her part of town. And mm-hmm. Debicki's in her part of town. Viola's in her part of town. Um, I think that's very true. And, and I then think... they reconvene and we don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. now, now where the hell are they? Chicago um, is very, like, that That does make sense in a way that's very diverse. Mm-hmm. Eastern European. Um, uh, but also very segregated, yeah. right? It's like, like when you weird... separate your food on the plate. Like, you got yes. a bunch of stuff on there, but you don't want it to yes. touch. You got a bunch of pierogies yeah, over there. Yeah. But then, yeah, that's it. But you don't want it, it to touch. Like, ooh, I don't need, I don't need that right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that surprised me the most when I was first watching this movie is, like, I, you know, going into it, I didn't know what the story was going to be about. And so I think that going into it, I assumed that like, okay, obviously we're going to be like cheering on, you know, Viola and the ladies, <laughs> but I also assumed we'd be cheering on Brian Tyree Henry's character. Mm-hmm. And so then when it kind of flips us, it flips the table on you and you're like, oh, actually like all the male power in this movie is oppressive and violent. Mm-hmm. And like, we're really just, it really is sort of like a purely feminist story. Cause it really is entirely about the women, um, overcoming the men in their lives in a variety of senses. Yes. Yes, in a variety of senses. We can't. It's so crazy because it's that's literally ingrained in er, almost every single like piece of the film. Mm-hmm. It's like every single like female character that we meet, um, with the exception of a Revo, maybe because mm-hmm. um, we don't get her too much in right. the film, too much of her backstory. But yeah, it's definitely. Um, yeah, that's definitely very, very, very true. Which is another reason I liked it because, mm-hmm. and also, I liked it like the way it wrapped up because oh, it yeah. was like there's a crap, there's a there's a there's a jump out of your seat moment yeah, toward yeah, the yeah. end. Mm-hmm. There's a jump out of your seat moment, but there's also to the point of this being a very like, you know, like womanist, like feminist film, and it's like yes, like you kind of you get that gratification in the end, and mm-hmm. so I really enjoyed that too. It was like I remember. <laughs> I was talking to my friend Malik about the film, um, and I already said, like, Daniel Kaluuya, for better or worse, was my favorite character in the film, just because I thought he acted the hell out of that part. Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, I was the only one. Like, people were actually cheering in the movie when, you know... When he does the stuff? No, when... 
Yes, mm-hmm. when that happens. Oh, um, oh. And so, yeah, yeah. and I was like, was I the only one that did not want that to happen? <laughs> and then Malik was like, he couldn't get in the way of the women like winning. And I was like, that's very true. Because if it would have went the opposite way, mm-hmm. I probably would have been pissed off that it ended that way. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but yeah. I was like, I know, yeah. but I just, I, you're I like, just couldn't they come her. around? Couldn't they work right. together? Couldn't he like? <laughs> couldn't he be Viola's henchman now? Yes. Right. 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 <laughs> but honestly. I think if we separate the two characters for me, Brian Tyree Henry and then um, Jetame, who is um, yeah, right, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya's character, um, Daniel Kaluuya kind of went off the, <laughs> kind of went separate <laughs> in a way, even though yeah. they were a team. I, I don't know. I wasn't necessarily not rooting for Brian Tyree Henry I in guess, a sense of the political aspect of it. Yeah, I guess he lost me as soon as he menaced Viola Davis and like grabbed her dog up <laughs> like that. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm, not, I'm like, you just lost all of America. Yeah, Tono no one's was not a- having a good time. No. Actually, Olivia was the dog's name, right? Olivia? I think that it sounds was. right. Yeah, I think you're right. You watched it most recently. Right. Uh, yeah, as soon as that scene happened, which is not a big spoiler, happens very early in the film. Um, but yeah, he as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, oh yeah, no, he snatched that dog up. So that yeah, dog has and- two very big scenes in that movie. <laughs> yes, that, this one where the dog yes. is threatened. Really does amazing yeah. stunt work. Rebecca is a big fan of animal acting. <laughs> yes, right. That's why I'm on the show. Exactly. Right. That's what she brings to the table. <laughs> yeah. Um, no Mahershala Ali, but all no. the dogs. All the dogs. Yeah, <laughs> I talked to that horse from Lena P. I talked to horse. She'll see. Marley and me. I don't even. She Exclusive. She goes to the junkets. She goes to the junkets. She's from Horse and Hound. I think they just tell me it's a dog from the right. movie. Right. Another dog. They bait and switch her all the time. But uh, um, and that's another. I feel like there's another scene where they really play with time. They let that dog wander around um, <laughs> that house <laughs> until. Do- oh, that's right. That's a very pivotal scene. A very that's right. Very game I changer. forgot about that. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, in the movie, there's so, so much we're not telling you. Yeah. yeah, I hope it makes you excited to want to go see it. Yeah, um, you don't want to spoil it because it's such no. a good film. Like yeah. usually, I don't care about spoiling films, but this is one I don't want. Yeah, spoil. and so we shall not. Uh, we also, I feel like, just as a have an obligation to our listeners to, of course, mention that. Michelle Rodriguez is in the movie. We yes. do have to mention that. I love Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. Like, she gets a bad rep for people who are like, she's a terrible actor. But right. I'm like, is she really or does she just play her role very well in these terrible movies? We, <laughs> did you ever see the movie The Assignment? No. Is uh, she are you busy that? later? Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch it. It's, a, it's like sort of our official movie of the entire podcast. It's what she plays. Um, it, the whole movie, like, the, the idea of the movie is horrendous, but she is unforgettable in it. She plays <laughs> she plays a male hitman named Frank Kitchen. Oh, wow. Um, I'm who, already sold. Who, Top five. <laughs> who is a contract killer <laughs> who after, after he kills somebody who is like the brother of a mad scientist played by Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. I thought so, you were going to say Tilda Swinton. I was oh, like, no, oh my close, God, I'm terrified. Close. Sigourney <laughs> Sigourney then takes Frank Kitchen and for- and drugs him and forces a sex chain surgery on him. And then Frank is reborn as a woman. Michelle Rodriguez plays both as male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As male, has a prosthetic mm-hmm. penis, uh, has a, a fake beard, fake beard, nose, all of it. Um, and then Frank is like forced to like live as a woman. Um, and then as a woman is like having her revenge on this mad scientist. This movie came out like two years ago. It is... And it turned us into like so diehard, like everything Michelle Rodriguez does now, we just follow obsessively. It's, oh, it's, that's been me since like yeah. uh, Girl <laughs> Fight. Oh, that's it. oh yeah, yeah. Well, Blue I, Crush too. Blue Crush. Yes, <laughs> I saw an interview with a Steve McQueen today where he actually said like he's like everyone told me not to work with her. Um, and also, she was good that's in this. Bold also, as 
<laughs> right, right. But it's Steve McQueen. I don't know right. if you've he heard, he but give a he fuck. actually doesn't give a fuck about no. it. Fair enough. No, um, I interviewed him for Shame years ago, and also, he, and he, yeah, he clear, he genuinely uh, does yeah. not make any effort to be like, I'm going to be. Anyone who's yeah. worked with Michael Fassbender as many times as he has <laughs> clearly doesn't care what anyone has to say about anything. And, and clearly, he got our letters. He got our letters. <laughs> But yeah, no, we warned he, him. We did the best. But that's could. that's actually what he said in this interview. He was like, "Oh yeah, everyone told me like don't work with Michelle. She's difficult. She's difficult." But he's like, "You know what? They say that about me too." Mm-hmm. Um, right. So he's Hello. like, "He's like, and do you know? Do they say that about white male directors? Uh, no, they're just perfectionists. You know? Do they say that mm. about about you know about white actresses? Like no, like they're just fun girls." Uh, but you know, he's like Michelle and I act the same way. <laughs> and we get these labels. Yeah, Michi. Our dear Michi and Michi, she's she's really good in this. Michi this is, is like, amazing. She's, uh, yeah, she's, she's so yes, good. Not spoiler alert. Michelle Rodriguez uh, holds her own amongst the all star cast, and she's one of the all stars. She's good. Yeah. She doesn't have a huge. I don't think like I don't want to hype it up like she just has this amazing huge part. I mean, mm-hmm. she, but she's she's a part of the crew. Yeah. So she gets her fair share of the she time. Does. Elizabeth Debicki. So. This was me, like, one of my first times actually seeing her in mm-hmm. something. I don't know. What else has she... Uh, so she was in that Great Gatsby remake a few years ago. Mm-hmm. With she had ca- dark hair, though. She was yeah. Jordan, right? Okay, yes. so I saw her in that, but yeah. she wasn't, like, a huge no. part of that. Okay. No. And she had and a huge she, part. She was in Guardians of the she's Galaxy, in, too. Yeah, she's in, yeah. She's in the Guardians of the Galaxy. She was in, um, she did that movie that was at Sundance called um, The Tale with Laura Dern that the HBO bought. Um, she had a great role in that. She also is in another movie that played at TIFF this year where she played Virginia Woolf. Um, oh, about that her, sounds interesting. About Virginia Woolf's it. affair with Vita Sackville West. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, and, and yeah, Go on. it was, it was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was the year, uh, it was the year of Elizabeth Debicki for me at TIFF because it was like the first time that I was like, oh, like you are major, like you are such a chameleon. Yeah. Um, and, um, and yeah, she in this, and Lucas Haas, by the way, <laughs> Lucas Haas is in this movie is her, like, yeah. she starts to do escorting right, and he's yeah. like her client. Yeah. Um, super weird though. That was, yeah, he was so very weird. Yeah. But also <laughs> it made sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and, movie. and that was like story G or F at that yeah, point. Right. <laughs> like, You're like, just another one. It but just keeps you know going. What? It just keeps going. It's uh, great. well, I think this is, this is our pick of the week. Yes. Oh, for sure. Um, Absolutely. The pick of the week possibly the pick of the year i keep telling people like this is not my this might not be like my personal favorite movie that i've seen all year Mm -hmm. but as far as like filmmaking like this was like one of the best if not the best and i'm hesitant to say that because i saw another movie that i think might be like the best movie that i've seen all year but um (laughs) i don't know i'm it's a toss-up for me between this and if bill street could talk yes because i am forever a barry jenkins stan Mm -hmm. um just for like also for the same reason steve i love steve mcqueen is like their shots like their shot selection and just and it's very different like the way they film is just very very different um, but I can't wait for Rebecca to see Beale Street. It's yeah, so, Street, so good. Beale Street is, is a time. Also, I, the only movie that I cried in all year was yeah, Beale Street. That one? Oh. The very, very end, I cried. Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, but yeah, so Widows is like up there for like, yeah. I don't care what, don't let these film critics hype y'all up about this Voldemort movie that we mentioned <laughs> earlier. It's nowhere near <laughs> being the movie of the year after no. y'all see Widows. <laughs> And Bill Street, I'm pretty confident that Creed is probably better than that, oh too. Oh, my God, I can't wait to see Creed. And all these other films. Actually, this reminds me of Creed a bit. What like, Widows that does? scene with the in the gymnasium, the way that it moves. That's the, like, the, the The interplay between, like, sweet scenes of romance and, like, like intense scenes of action. Yeah. The way you just kind of, like, feel just, like 
like passionately mm-hmm. about the success of the protagonist. I don't know. Yes. It, it reminded yes. me a lot of Creed. And there's in a, the yeah. best of ways. Burning yeah. is better than the Voldemort <laughs> film. I know Jason hasn't seen Burning, but have Rebecca, have you seen it? No, no. Burning is very, very good. Steven Young is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. Yeah. yeah. Very, very, that. very good. Yes. Um, look, I can and, name probably you know, five more films that I have seen this year. It's better than that. Widows has also more slapping scenes than the Voldemort yes. movies. There's yes. at least one good slapping right. scene. <laughs> <laughs> so but gets... you know what? That's It's funny you say that because I feel like that's exactly what the Voldemort movie needed was one was a good slap fucking yes. slapping scene was a good also slap. we need to slap them powerpoint letters that they put up at the beginning of the film for Ashley takes issue head. with the title yes because <laughs> why put those letters like that why oh no shade though actually Bradley Cooper acted his ass off in that film that's yes. one thing we did say yeah we can agree on that about that but you know because there's, because there's no there's no leading male role in Widows to compete against him so we can say it yes <laughs> we can say he can he can take leading actor we're good with it yes but supporting I mean oof, Daniel Kaluuya for me for the year mm-hmm. incredible performance oh and Brian Tyree Henry is also in Beale Street uh-huh. so he's in both he's these, having so he's, a he's moment actor too of the year. Yeah. we were talking about Ezra Miller earlier mm-hmm. Brian Tyree Henry had a moment he yeah, was in this Beale Street Atlanta. Um, Hotel Artemis Atlanta um, yeah. I feel like I'm forgetting something but yeah oh he was in Irreplaceable You on um, Netflix oh I haven't watched that with the mm. uh, Gugu Mbatha oh Ra. we love Gugu ever since uh, ever since Beyond the Lights I think is when we first yes. went really we went over heels for Gugu Gina Prince Bythewell worked her little rom, rom romantic right. movie oh. magic on that one loved yeah. Bill uh, was solid too man I can't stop wishing this was now a miniseries though the movie Widows. If Widows oh, was yeah. like a little like, a limited series. like HBO like six part series or something. That would be pretty bomb. Yeah. That would have been amazing. I would watch the hell out of that. And a lot more would have happened in that than happened in Sharp Objects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So <laughs> it's no rush. Very gross. The only uh, bad thing you could say about it is that I wish it was longer. Right. Right, exactly. And then there are four worse things. Worse yeah, things. things. I saw some oh, see, I haven't finished it yet, so no spoilers. Oh, no, we meant, oh, we meant Widows. Uh, widows. No, oh. Sharp <laughs> Objects is plenty long. It's too long by half. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, Ashley, thank you so much thank for you. joining us thank today. Thank you for having me. Come back. Of course. Where, okay. where can our listeners find you? Do you want to hook up your socials or anything? Ooh. Who will be looking at me talking and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yes. It's just Ashley Delatore at Twitter. Um, on Twitter, excuse me. Um, yeah, so you can find me. At Twitter, I get the most used out of Instagram. Not so much. I'm not on Facebook. So, yeah, Twitter, you can catch me talking shit about your favorite film. <laughs> at Ashley, S-H-L-E-Y-D-E-L-A-T-O-R-R-E. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Jason. Now it's just the two of us. Um, so we can get back on to shading each other. <laughs> As we discuss the second movie this week, The Front Runner. Gary Hart, former senator of Colorado, becomes the front runner for the Democratic presidential nomination in 1987. Hart's intelligence, charisma, and idealism make him popular with young voters, leaving him with a seemingly clear path to the White House. All that comes crashing down when allegations of an extramarital affair surface in the media forcing the candidate to address a scandal that threatens to derail his campaign and his personal life. Jason, a political movie during these turbulent political times, not about current politics. Yes. Directly. Uh, And yet so relevant. Mm, This Mm. is your buddy Jason Reitman's newest 
Flick. My buddy. Why is he my buddy? Because oh, we're love both named Jason. Mm-hmm. That's not true. I don't love everything he does. He's been on a, a free fall up until this year because Tully, of course, we mm-hmm. loved. Mm-hmm. That was his big kind of bounce back from the genuinely terrible last few movies he's made, uh, such as Men, Women, and Children. Oh, right. Uh, and Labor Day. Okay, I see. So yeah, there mm-hmm. were some, there were some off, there were some off moments there. Uh, so yeah, I would say his first, I guess three movies were all solid, uh, which were Thank You for Smoking, Juno, and Up in the Air. Uh, oh, four, Young Adult, my favorite, oh, right. my That's favorite, favorite of, my favorite, of, my favorite of any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after Young Adult, he fell off a cliff, and um, and then he's gradually, you know, he brilliantly, smartly reteamed with Diablo Cody. She saved his ass, brought him back. Um, with Tully, and now we have the frontrunner. Uh, this is another one that I saw back at Tifting, so it's been a few months since I've seen it. And I will say that when I first watched it, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, like he really is back. Like this is like a, a super competently made, very engrossing, true story that hasn't been told in a film before. Um, and it wasn't until kind of looking at it with a bit of hindsight that I started to realize just how kind of abhorrent it is. Ooh, what, what, tell me about that journey. Uh, well, I started to, okay, so, <clears throat> uh, I, I first started to notice Jason Reitman's conservatism, I would say, mm. in Men, Women, and Children, which was a movie that wanted everyone to just please put their iPhones down so we can please talk about 9-11. <laughs> uh, that was... Oh, have you seen someone, there was a, there was a meme. <laughs> <laughs> someone photoshopped. A giant billboard of the Grinch face, and but in the words it says, "Jet fuel can can melt steel beams." (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, go on. (laughs) You you live your whole life at internet conspiracy theories, both for work and for fun. (laughs) I do what I can. (laughs) I have fun. (laughs) Oh God. Uh, Anyway, so uh, yeah, so. So basically, yeah, when I was first watching this movie, I was like, okay, so this is just, you know, interesting story being told about, um, you know, um, it, I, I guess what I'm saying is that when I first watched it, I didn't pick up on the, what I now see as very clearly a lot of judgment ah. from Jason Reitman against the press. Um, and what we have in the front runner is, yeah, so we have the story of Gary Hart and, um, and essentially what the movie is about beyond just the surface description is... They feel like Jason Reitman and his team feel like this is the moment that that the media coverage of politics jumped the shark. They're like, this is when it all ended. Um, this is when like the decency and integrity of political journalism jumped the shark. The first time that we took this perfectly good noble man um, and we decided to destroy his career and his chances and by extension, the country. Uh, because we just had to know if he was having an affair and, you know, and we had, that's when news journalism became tabloid journalism. And, um, and so I feel like the movie has a very clear point of view on this that is very much on Gary Hart's side and very much critical of the press. And I think it only becomes clear as it goes on because in the beginning, it kind of is setting up these side-by-side camps. It's like, okay, so we have all the campaign aides uh, on Hart's campaign, and then we have all these journalists. They're mm-hmm. scr- both sides are scrambling around, and you know, insanely. Um, and so we're like, oh, they're like the same. Um, and we have like this, you know, like a young journalist who is going and meeting Gary and is like cutting his teeth, doing this, um, you know, um, following this campaign. 
and um, and then it kind of leads to this like this epic et tu brute moment in the end where he's the one to ask the question that just like twists the knife and officially like ends it for Gary once and for all uh, and uh, so and I just feel like I read a review today that kind of articulated that what I was already thinking which was this there could not be a worst a worse movie for our current cultural moment than mm. this one because um what had not yet happened when i saw this was brett kavanaugh's hearings oh right right all oh, right and so and what kavanaugh said in his like horrific um you know monologue uh at that hearing is very similar to a lot of what Gary Hart says in this movie when he's defending himself and being like, I'm not going to say anything other than that it shouldn't be your business. I'm a, you know, a good man and I deserve this. And like, how, who are you to tell me that I don't deserve this thing that I want? Uh, and that to me is like the driving force of Gary Hart's narrative in the front row. Like, I'm a good, decent man. And what do you care? I shouldn't have to answer your questions about my personal life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And granted, it's very different because in the, in the case of Frontrunner, it was uh, the question of whether he'd been unfaithful to his wife versus, you know, with uh, Kavanaugh where it was sexual assault. Um, but uh, but all the same, um, I feel like this is the worst possible time given the president's ongoing unprecedented assault against the media to have a movie that angrily shakes its fist at the media for the coverage of politics. Hmm. It's a bad fucking time for it. Interesting. I mean, I feel like it's a it it shows very much what Gary Hart's what really happened. Like his real reaction was that. Like mm-hmm. let's let's just for a moment pretend there's no no intent. Mm-hmm. Like in the like that's a, that would be the way we'd be portrayed because that is very much how Gary Hart reacted to this incident. Um, to say that that that's that he's being portrayed as a hero or that he's correct for that point of view, I don't know that I felt overwhelmingly that that was the case here. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that I was sold that this was like a pro Gary Hart movie. And to me, it felt like he was being silly at the end. And mm-hmm. the movie didn't color it so much that I was supposed to feel like he was right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, agreed that that was definitely the wrong approach to take at the time and a, a wrong approach to um, encourage now. I just didn't feel like it necessarily felt like the movie encouraged it. That's interesting. Well, I mean, yeah, because we, you know, he famously said in real life, uh, you know, he's like, oh, well, please follow me. You'll be very bored and invited the press to follow him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they accepted his invitation. They followed him. And then, you know, they found evidence that he was having an affair with this young woman named Donna Rice. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I guess to me, to me, it was it was not wildly overstated. And it definitely presents Gary Hart as a flawed protagonist. I'm not saying it presents him as like an un- an unequivocal hero, but I do think they present him as like a noble good man and saying like in be like let him work out in private with his wife like Vera Hamiga who's terrific as always, um, let them work it out in private whether or not he's been unfaithful. the The important thing is that he's a good noble man who'd be good for this country, and we just need to stop having the press hound him and and stop trying to make the, what's supposed to be about the bigger ideals of of, of civics, um, and stop trying to drag it down to some ugly sexual place um, to to appease our like basest common interests. Uh, I mean, I feel like the way it was the way it was told, and the way you see like the different camps and like. When you see the different reporters that are kind of embedded start to figure out what's going on and then when they're approached by certain people about the story and then how they work on it, work with it and the decisions that they make to cover it or not, 
to me, this movie just highlights the complexity of it all. Where it's mm-hmm. like, sure, when you're looking at it through the lens of Kavanaugh, or you're looking at it from a 2019 point of view, you're like, um, yes, this information needs to be surfaced because it is a, it is a testament, a part of who you are as a person and the way you treat women and the way you treat your obligations and um, and but but the the um, the motivation of the journalists at the time wasn't this like pro feminist like look at the way this man treats women it was mm-hmm. they were trying to get dirt to make an interesting story so mm-hmm. at the end of the day if that's if that's your end goal then is it worth it well but then that's the question though because like if we're looking at the moral character of a political leader which is what we do uh you know like is that relevant uh you know like it was something that certainly plagued the clinton years Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it's something where uh, the question of whether or not um, a person running for the highest office in the land is having an affair on their wife uh, you know is that relevant to their moral character uh, you know so I mean and I guess that is the subject for debate uh, I feel like it is I feel like there's just so many people who could have that position and so it's the kind of thing of like where like the Kavanaugh entitlement of being like, well, I've worked for it and I'm a, you know, a good white man who did what I'm supposed to do and I deserve this. This is mine. And to me, that's how it felt with Gary Hart in this movie uh, where he just had that entitlement where he was like, no, this is mine. And they're like, well, but you have to acknowledge. He's like, I will not. I will not acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to. And so I'm not going to. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to, you know, like let my virtues speak for themselves. And um and so I guess I feel like it's one thing to point to a moment without judgment and be like, here's where the paradigm shifted right, in terms right, right. of how we care about politics and what pieces of political lives we care about. Because obviously, presidents forever had been had mistresses. Sure. Um, and it was never a giant national talking point. Of As it. Alfred Molina points out in this movie with an incredible amount of uh, makeup on. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so, uh, and yeah, so like, yes, is this a, t- a paradigm? Is this a, a tipping point? Yes, um, but I do feel like the movie ultimately is judgmental of the press and very critical of the press and saying, like, the press needs to stand back and let this great man be great and not try to hold his indiscretions against him. And that just sounds like something Trump would say, uh, because, you know, he's also a, a president who has mistresses and, um, and you know, says fake news, fake news. And so I feel like this movie is, I feel like Trump supporters would watch it and be like, exactly. The press is the enemy of the people. And all they do is try to dig up dirt to take down good men. And I feel like that is the message of this movie. And I think that's a really irresponsible message to have in a movie right now. Hmm. Interesting. I, the one thing it does that I do think is great, though, is it does give some a few minutes of screen time to Donna Rice's character. Who it, ends up being a terrible person in real life. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, so actually, it doesn't she's matter. She's very pro-Trump. Um, oh, great. Yeah, she's, sure. uh, she's, a ter- she's terrible. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this almost passes the Bechdel test. She spends a... Yes, before being cast out um, right. by the one woman who will talk to her. Um, but the movie does, you know, it gives us... I think one of the questions I heard a lot at TIFF was like, why is this movie being told from Gary Hart's point of view? Like, Gary Hart is not that interesting as a character. Why is Gary the protagonist of this movie? Um, you know, in, in some ways it would have been more interesting to tell it almost entirely from Donna's point of view or from like the campaign chief's point of view or the journalist's point of view, because Gary is like a cipher as a protagonist. He's just not that interesting. Mm-hmm. He doesn't give you very much. It does give a few minutes to what Donna goes through, um, which is interesting because I was when I was watching and I was like, oh, we haven't really seen this story told from that, mm-hmm. from like the mistress's point of view or, or the alleged mistress or just like countless women whose you know whose lives are forever you know um sort of uh, tainted because they whether through their own um 
uh, agency or not wound up, um, you know, and an, a household name. Um, you know, just all all the the reassessments we've done of of Monica Lewinsky uh, in the last ten years or so to be like, you know, look what we as a country did to her. Uh, you know, and, and she has bravely continued to be in the public eye and be like, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I'm here to talk about what happens afterward. Um, let's go to to something else quickly. Uh, Hugh Jackman. Mm-hmm. Uh, thoughts on, on his hair in this movie? Um, What's the wigginess of this for you? <laughs> wiggy? Is it wiggy? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it wasn't distracting to me, but I, I have seen some snarkiness about the wig. I was distracted. <laughs> I was definitely distracted. Um, I, I, that was, a, that's like the most uncomfortable part of the movie for me. I don't buy the, him as Gary Hart at all. Not just no? the wig, but like okay. the whole, the whole, the whole thing, that whole part. What I really enjoyed, and I wish the movie had been more about, is the incredible cast of reporters and, um, campaign aides mm-hmm. um his inner circle that he works with and I, right. I i really liked that sort of it was like um you know, like the post or like a like a spielberg type of ensemble like political ensemble mm. right. journalist thing but done with a little bit of a lighter touch like yes. i feel like reitman has a little bit of a more like it would be like the, it's like the hipster right younger perspective of like a bunch of young people working on a campaign campaign and i felt i felt like it wasn't as heavy-handed as it would have been if it was like aaron sorkin or right or spielberg uh, yeah. and i like that a lot I, I want i want to see more of that i think that yeah i i like this better than the post uh, i think if this had been if this if the post had had uh if this had the conclusion of the post if this had like mm. the pro like let's support a free independent press angle of the post it would have been the perfect movie uh, because i do think like the filmmaking is very yeah it's super engrossing and it does have that kind of like yeah i've seen sorkin reference and reviews about it like just that kind of rat-a-tat energy mm-hmm. um just like just quick cuts quick cameras just following all these harried people like with clipboards and you know running around and you know on their giant phones uh <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and trying to coordinate this thing. And, and, you know, it's, it's interesting just to observe the phenomenon of like a front runner, like how does mm-hmm. one become, and Gary Hart was like the ordained, like it just happened. Like everyone agreed, like he is the front runner. And obviously as we saw in the last election, that doesn't always amount to things, even if you no, do make it to the ballot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was one of those things where unlike with Hillary, like he was still like a new, uh, kind of presence he didn't have the baggage he was coming into it and they were like here it's happening we're having a natural ascent of a new leader we are all holding hands on this it's going to be this guy um and then the thing that happens that takes him out of it and um uh, you know i think it's it's worth asking the question of like if he had cooperated uh you know with the inquiry uh from the beginning rather than resisted it to the extent that he did who knows whether that would have helped get out ahead of it um, but I think it's the kind of thing where, I mean, I don't mean to talk as if I have ever been through that personally. I feel like it must be really hard to be a public figure and to have worked very hard for very long to have this certain status and have access to like, I could do this thing. And then the first whiff of scandal, in theory, you probably have people telling you like, like, you're done. You know, and I think we see this more and more, certainly recently, certainly ever since, you know, uh, in particular, since the rise of Me Too uh that you know like it's sort of like okay like this report is out here now and you're done for although of course i think we also see double standards with that and how how it's applied Mm -hmm. across party lines such as when trump openly mocked al franken Mm -hmm. uh for having stepped down you know immediately um when the thing happened when the allegations arose and i was like he just went away he was just like oh okay I'll, i'll go uh so but yeah so also i mean it's interesting that this is kind of like the first time it happened right so 
I feel like while I don't think that I would defend Gary Hart in general, mm-hmm. um, or but to be the first one where like everyone decides that we're no longer going to play this game where we protect right. people anymore, and it wasn't even like a smear campaign from the other side. Right. Like, I feel like there's a lot there that you're. It's the first time when you can't do that thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and why was it this guy who like we agree with their ideals? Like, right. I feel like having, looking at it in, in retrospect, it could have been handled a little more responsibly considering mm. the current climate. Right. I, I agree. I agree there. Right. Um, but it, to put yourself back in time, yeah, it's just like sure. the worst time to be like, Oh, remember all the good things Hitler did? Like this isn't, today's not the day to make that movie. <laughs> no, no, it is not. And just that thing of being like, Oh, well, like, Oh, but it was always okay before. Uh, you know, like that's, sure. that's not a, that's not a valid excuse. No, but it does explain what happens in the movie as it happened in, yeah, in real life. It right? does. It does. But I think, you know, in the, I think probably this just comes back to our, our not shared conclusion about the movie's mm-hmm. judgment or lack thereof. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think if the movie had been more kind of, I don't know, if it had been like more holistic or more kind of um, uh, had, a, had a, a better point of view about it, kind of a more God's eye view of the whole thing, a more detached uh, mm-hmm. view of mm-hmm. the whole thing where it didn't feel like, where I couldn't feel Reitman's distaste for the media. And because there is that moment when after this journalist who is a young, who is a young black journalist, does ask the final knife twist question in this very public, very dramatic fashion, um, where Gary Hart looks at him with this disappointment in his eyes, like genuinely at two brute, and you just see his respect is drained from his face, and then you just cut back to the reporter, and you just like feel like this, like this, this head, this like loud god voice being like, "Was it worth it?" Um, I, had, I I felt like he was the hero in that moment. The reporter was the hero. Like that's interesting. Maybe I I I would love to hear a third person's point of view on this because mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm taking in like a something. It's weird. It's like we're looking at the same exact thing with two different. Yeah. Uh, like maybe I missed a like a, a narrow over narration or something. <laughs> I know you were um, watching this with your cat. I was, and you know how she likes to whisper perspectives <laughs> into my ear. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> that asshole. Um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like we see the same thing, but with like, just like we've been slightly primed different ways to to view it differently. I'd love to either check it out again. I don't want to actually watch it again. Uh, or hear somebody else's thoughts yeah, on it. So, so someone else go see or it. Ask Jason on Twitter at excess <laughs> baggage. I'm giving this a, a consume. Yeah, no, it's a consume for me too because it is. You know, it's very well made and well acted. Um, it's just that I feel like yeah, what it stands for is 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 appalling and irresponsible. Um, I stand with the press. <laughs> I don't know about Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always weary of the press. Actually, I hate this about the Trump age that we're in. Is that I've always been super weary of the press. I don't trust the press at all. I've seen them get things wrong that I've experienced so many times that I haven't. I have a discomfort, and uh, and now that's unpopular. <laughs> <laughs> well, just know any conservative listening to our show just nod their head and said exactly. See, even that one agrees with me. Way to go. <laughs> the front runners made it R. Hey, did you see they got a new head of the MPAA? No. Yeah. Um, yeah wonder how things are going to change. <laughs> it's like rated PG-13 for straight up sex. Yay. No, uh, it's rated R for disturbing content involving ritualistic violence, bloody oh. images, <laughs> and graphic nudity. Yep, Wait a that's minute. That's it. That's it. Keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> this is leftover from Suspiria, <laughs> I assume. 
um, which I saw, by the way. You're like, see, I'm telling you, they made the they made you have these journalists do ritualistic sacrifices. They just don't do those. <laughs> oh, you saw Suspiria. What do you think? Um, I would have given it a binge it just to see the dancing. I found the dancing yes amazing, mm-hmm. um, violent. I felt like lots I, of sharp elbows. Lots of sharp elbows, <laughs> yeah. um, which I love. Mm-hmm. I found the uh, kind of the, the climatic scene, the way that was filmed was like kind of a disservice to the rest of the beauty of the film. I didn't like that weird like slow-mo mm. red tinged stuff. Dark. Um, yeah, I don't know. Definitely uh, Dakota Johnson was amazing. I always love her. Um, and I don't know. I felt that the directing was, it seemed very like stagey. Mm. Um, I felt like the only scene that felt really, um, outside of the dancing scenes, the, the scene at the very, very end where they, where they're like outside of that cabin felt normal. Everything else felt like it was like on a soundstage, which I thought was weird. Yeah. 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 Well, there we go. There's Rebecca's review. Suspiria. Wedge that. I guess we did three movies. Hey. And now we're done. We're going home. Jason, um, anything you want to say? <laughs> Uh, no, I got to get out of here and go see Joan Baez. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Uh, be sure to subscribe. And Jason is on Twitter. Yes, at XS Uh Thanks so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.